So let's commence today's show talking politics with our regular contributor, Ruben Navarrete Jr., the most widely read Latino columnist in the nation, courtesy of his Washington Post syndicate uh, column and the host of the very popular Ruben in the Center podcast. Ruben Navarrete Jr., how are you today, sir? My brother, good to be with you again, as always. It's good to have you on. Thank you for the time. Glad we have an hour, a whole lot to talk about. Let me see if we can uh, move through this hour as swiftly as we can and cover as many trending political topics uh, as possible. I start with the obvious. Uh, Joe Biden in Detroit today, uh, walking the picket line with UAW strikers. Uh, your thoughts? So Joe Biden has had a long history, 50 years in politics, of being pro-union. Uh, you know, he talks about his roots in Scranton, Pennsylvania, he is Lunch Bucket Joe. One of the reasons that Barack Obama chose him to be his running mate in 2008 was because Joe Biden is fluent in the language of working class whites, particularly from an area of the country called the Rust Belt, which is these four states of Ohio, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan. So it's not surprising that he's going to side with the workers at the, at the UAW strike. What surprised me is that Donald Trump beat him to the punch. That Donald Trump actually announced he was going to go meet with the workers before Joe Biden did. And that's significant because uh, Donald Trump is not Democrats' favorite kind of Republican to run against. They love running against Mitt Romney. People like Mitt Romney, rich, Harvard guy, says, goes around talking about how corporations are people too, right? That's who Republican Democrats like to run against. But, but Trump has this appeal. I don't understand it, but it's undeniable, this appeal to working-class whites. And here's the headline. The Trump voter and the Biden voter, it's the same guy. If you are a white male living in one of those four states I mentioned, you voted for Democrats most of your life, then here comes Trump in 2016, you jump ship and vote for him, not for Hillary, but then you abandon him in 2020 to vote for Biden, at least some of them do, and now they're pretty much up for grabs, which is why the UAW has not endorsed anybody in this race yet. That's true. They want everybody to know they have not given Joe Biden their endorsement. They want to see what Joe Biden's going to do for them. Biden and Trump have the same policies when it comes to trade with China, tariffs. All these things I think are terrible policies that make us less competitive in the long run. Trump and Biden are one in the same. What's, what's your... Uh... Well, let me let me let me let me let me pause for a second. When we come forward, I'll yeah. I'll, I'll jump right to this. Uh, I want to unpack this um, uh, this uh, reality um, that you put your finger on. Uh, that at the moment, um, the UAW has not endorsed Joe Biden, and they're, that, that's raising a lot of eyebrows in the White House. I've talked to a few people, and they're they're not at all happy about that. Um, and I don't know to what extent uh, the fact that they've not endorsed him as yet as yet has factored into his going to Detroit today. Um, to walk the picket line with these striking auto workers. But the White House is not happy about the fact that UAW has not endorsed Joe Biden as yet. Uh, that I can assure you. We'll talk about that in a great deal more as we move through this first hour. We're talking politics with Ruben Navarrete Jr. on Tavis Smiley. Seeking the truth. Seeking the truth. Speaking the truth. This, this is the Tavis, Tavis Smiley, Smiley Show. Show. Smart talk for curious people just like you. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Indeed you are, and we're glad about it. Our guest in this uh, first hour is Ruben Navarrete Jr. Uh, really no guest, uh, a regular contributor to this program. And um, for those who are, excuse me, just hearing Ruben perhaps for the first time, as we continue to expand our syndication, 
across the country. There are many uh, who may be hearing his voice for the very first time. You should know that Ruben and I go back uh, 30 years, <laughs> and uh, uh, he is uh, far more conservative than I am. And every now and then, even though I am unapologetically progressive, I like checking in with conservative voices. Uh, and Ruben and I, again, um, go back way, way, way back. Uh, we used to do a radio show together, as a matter of fact, a black and brown radio program. I'm the black guy, by the way. He's the brown guy, and he's the more conservative one. I'm the more progressive one. Uh, but I enjoy these dialogues from time to time as we get a chance to take each other's temperature on the issues of the day. Uh, so for those, again, who may be hearing him for the very first time across the nation, uh, that's a, a bit of the backstory uh, about Ruben Navarrete, uh, Harvard educated, as I mentioned earlier, the most widely read Latino columnist in the nation, courtesy of his uh, columns every week syndicated by the Washington Post. He's a big deal. And um, we uh, we love to fight. Um, that said, uh, that, that said, Ruben, um, what, what's fascinating about this UAW situation, uh, specifically that they have withheld, at least up until this moment, their endorsement of Joe Biden. Who knows what happens on the other side of his walking the picket line uh, with mm. them uh, in Detroit. But here's the question. Mm. Why is it that a guy who regards himself and ours reminds us that he is the best friend that labor's ever had in the White House. That's his line, right? Mm -hmm. I'm the best friend yeah. labor's ever had. If he's really that, uh, if he's really that, um, let me let me let me reframe this. If labor is really that enamored with him, if they really love him that much, why is Joe Biden having to court auto workers? So I'm approaching my 35th anniversary of writing for money, uh, and uh, I've been writing about politics that long. With politicians, you have to forget what they say and watch what they do. And you see that with African-American, Latino, young people's support for Joe Biden has all fallen. It's all dropped off. And likewise, with regard to, to labor, they say that, that uh, Joe Biden says all the right things. But in terms of his time in office, they have a long list of, of grievances and, and times where he hasn't been there for, for them and actually supported them and, and put pen to paper on their behalf. So they really want to see more action and less words. You know, their response is, what have you done for me lately? Yeah, we know Joe Biden has been in the corner of organized labor for 50 years. I think nobody can deny that. But uh, everybody who, who gives an endorsement, including black folks and brown folks, they have the right to say, you know, what are you going to do for me? What exactly are you doing for me now? And not just have them rest on their laurels. Yeah. Um, and yet that notwithstanding, it's still fascinating to me that um, he has to court these auto workers, um, given his yeah. given given his track record. Uh, and maybe Sean Fain is uh, is, you know, is outsmarting everybody uh, because he's certainly leveraging this moment. Uh, the fact that he has uh, pulled off this historic moment where Joe Biden is walking the picket line in Detroit. That's a big deal. Uh, and Sean Fain, the head of UAW, has used uh, this leverage uh, quite nicely. And yet I can't imagine that UAW would ever endorse Donald Trump. So, again, Sean Fain has got to be given some 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 props and some respect. You got you got to give this guy some credibility uh, and some credit, I should say, uh, for being able to manipulate this moment to his advantage and get the present to walk the picket line with him. I guess the question is whether or not uh, as smooth and as good as Sean Fain appears to be at the moment you can't you yeah. can't imagine UAW endorsing Donald Trump, can you? No, but I can I can uh, very much envision the UAW sitting it out, taking a neutral position and not endorsing either Biden or Trump uh, if those two square off. And in fact, they'll have a lot of cover because if you end up with a Biden Trump rematch, you're going to see all these polls, Tavis, that show 
50, 60, 70 percent of Americans disgusted, just disgusted that we're back here again. And the UAW will be able to say, hey, we're with the majority of Americans. We think we can do better and we don't we don't have a horse in this race. We're going to stay neutral. And here's why, because, again, Donald Trump's voter and Joe Biden's voter, they're the same voter in the Rust Belt states. The people where they, where they make these cars, uh, that those are people who, who have voted for Trump one minute and Biden the next, and they're totally up for grabs. If anything, Joe Biden should thank, or, or Sean Fain should thank Donald Trump, because it was, again, Trump making the overture, saying, I'm going, it's an extraordinary thing for the Republican to say, I'm going to speak to the UAW workers. Now, he's going to go there and praise them, right? I mean, what planet are we on? This, mm. this proves that Donald Trump has always been a Democrat. He's a, he's a demagogue for sure. He's out for Trump, only for Trump. But he was giving money to Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer long before he was giving money to Republicans. And so he's now going back to his, his roots with these working class whites who love him, who mm. normally vote Democrat, except they vote for Trump. So if Trump were not going and the Republican Party only has people like Tim Scott, who said that he would fire all these workers or Nikki Haley, who calls herself a union buster. Well, Donald, then in that case, Joe Biden would not be going to Michigan. Joe Biden's going to Michigan because he's afraid of Trump's appeal to these workers. It's a fascinating uh, frame. Um, I, I wonder how right Rubin is that Joe Biden's only going to Michigan now doing something historic because Donald Trump said he'd go first. Um, we'll never know, I guess. Uh, but it's uh, something interesting um, to 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 uh, to consider. Um, again, uh, I don't think uh, we agree on this point, Ruben. Um, I don't think we agree on this, which is that. Um, your point that UAW is going to sit this out. I can't see that. I, I can't see. I, 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 I hear the argument, but I can't imagine UAW sitting this out. It's too important a race. Uh, and your points make sense to me on, on some level, but I, I can't. I, I just don't see it. I don't see a UAW sitting this thing out. I think they're going to get what they want out of Joe Biden today. And I think at the appropriate time, they're going to endorse Joe Biden. Uh, and the White House will finally stop sweating. And I, and I believe that in part because... Trump has always been a friend, obviously, as a member of this club. He's a friend of big business. He has never, ever, 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 you, you all recall the stories, the horror stories that we learned about Donald Trump and the way he treats his workers, the way he doesn't pay his bills, et cetera, et cetera. Donald Trump has never been a friend of workers. And I can't imagine UAW is stuck on stupid to not realize that. So, again, give Sean Fain credit for leveraging what he has, uh, forcing the president's hand making him historically walk a picket line with them today uh, in Detroit. But I think when all said and done, UAW endorses Joe Biden. We will see if uh, if I'm right or if Ruben is right in the coming weeks and months. Let me move on to some other issues. A lot to cover, as I said, in this hour, uh, trending political stories. This is breaking news today, uh, Ruben. Cory Booker, the junior senator, uh, African-American, of course, uh, out of New Jersey, uh, has uh, publicly stated uh, today that he... Uh, would like to see Robert Menendez resign. Now, here's why this is a big deal. It's a big deal because there's a growing number of Democrats who are afraid as they run for re-election, as they are on the ballot, they're going to be tainted uh, by this indictment, what, six or seven years after the first one. He survived the first one with a, with a hung jury. Uh, but they've indicted Robert Menendez, the senior senator from New Jersey, uh, obviously uh, um, Hispanic, uh, Cuban to be exact. Uh, so you got you got black and brown, and that's the only state that I'm aware of right now, unless I'm missing something, the only state where there's a black and brown senator representing the state. So you got Corey and you got uh, uh, Robert Menendez. Uh, so it's a big deal to have black and brown representing this state, New Jersey, in the Senate. But the black guy has now come out against the brown guy and told the brown guy, 
You need to resign. You need to go home. And Cory Booker's voice resonates. It means something. How, how are you reading the drama that Menendez is facing and the news today that Cory Booker says he ought to step down? Well, first of all, having a flashback to conversations you and I have long had where there's an African-American who's being prosecuted, some would say persecuted by a U.S. attorney or, an, or a Latino in the same spot. And you typically, my friend, have typically come down in terms of favorite due process and really giving an airing to this idea that many times African-American uh, elected officials are targeted, mm -hmm. are targeted by prosecutors. I am not like that. I will take my folks and throw them under the bus in a hot minute. <laughs> I have a long history. You can Google it. You can Google it, folks. You know, I, I do not owe anything to people like Bob Menendez, this Cuban-American who doesn't give me or people like me a thought and hasn't, despite the fact he's a Democrat, you know, he's always been bought and paid for by special interests, to my mind, including organized labor. And he's taken many positions that go contrary to the best interests of Latinos. Uh, he breathes rarefied air, as does Cory Booker, because they're members of the Senate. And so, yeah, I'm not going to always stand by Latinos. I have a very poor record, in fact, of standing by Latinos who get into trouble. Uh, I tend to be the first one to offer them up. Uh, but having said that, I'm not I'm coming back and forth between whether or not he should resign or not. Mm -hmm. I think I think it's significant for the party. And if he cares about the party and he cares about New Jersey and that seat staying in Democratic hands, then he should resign. But this idea of innocent until proven guilty, he actually thinks he doesn't need to resign. It really is up to the voters to decide whether he should step down or not. Until I see some polling from New Jersey that, that actually tell me what the voters think, uh, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say he can go either way. I mean, he, he really you know, does have a foot to, to stand on when he says, I haven't been convicted of anything. Mm -hmm. Why should I step aside? But having said that, if you look at the, 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 the case itself, Tavis, here's the problem. People need to take responsibility for their actions. This is how Ruben got to the center. Ruben got to the center because both political parties, and this is where you and I disagree, both political parties are full of crap. Okay? The Democrat Party is equally full of crap as the Republican Party. On the Republican side, you have Donald Trump who sees himself as a victim. Donald Trump didn't do anything wrong ever. He's always being persecuted by the media and his political enemies. Right? Now you have Menendez. Menendez comes forward and says, I didn't do anything. <laughs> I'm being persecuted, he says, because I'm Latino. That's what he said. I'm Latino, and they're going after me because I'm Latino. And then he said yesterday, sure, I have a habit of stockpiling cash in my house and shoving it into the pockets of my congressional blazer. You know why? Because my parents were Cuban, and when they lived in Cuba, they were afraid that Fidel Castro was going to come knock down the door and take away their money and their home and their business. So he's blaming the fact that he's Latino. He's blaming his parents, and it's just low rent. It's just disgusting that he does this, okay? Mm -hmm. And. It's, you know how the familiar phrase, it's not the crime, it's the cover-up. But what's sure. worse than the cover-up is playing the victim. Mm. When you And I'm saying this, if you're black, brown, white, or purple, and you play the victim and you don't want to own your stuff, okay, then I got no time for you. Mm. No, I, I, it's, it's, it's a credible argument. I, I, would, uh, I would retort uh, with this very, very quickly and very simply. Number one, um, I do believe that uh, Democrats have taken black folk and brown folk, for that matter, for granted far too long. Yep. Uh, I believe yep, that yep. Re Republicans uh, tend to ignore, certainly African-Americans, they don't ignore your community, they ignore us. They ignore black folk, Democrats take it for granted, So, I, uh, number one. Number two, I wouldn't say the parties are both equally full of crap. Um, I'd have a hard time 
uh, equating uh, Republican positions with Democratic positions. And yet I still believe that Democrats take black voters for granted. Those two things are not uh, mutually exclusive. Um, but I hear your point uh, about Menendez and being ambivalent about it. And the, tr- and the truth is, on this point, we agree. I'm somewhat ambivalent as well. When you've been indicted twice, the first time you survived on a hung jury, you should know better the second time around, and you shouldn't find yourself in this situation. Having said that, I've said repeatedly, and you 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 laid it out nicely, uh, because you know me for thirty years. I believe right. in fundamental fairness. I believe right. in due process. I believe in the presumption of innocence. So this one's a tricky one for me. Um, having said all that, I believe the more Democrats who demand uh, that he resign, and Cory Booker's voice is a big one because he is the junior senator from that state, uh, I believe that Menendez uh, at some point um, will either see the light or feel the heat <laughs> and do the right thing. But um, I digress on that for now. Uh, moving forward, some other issues I want to cover with you. This is going to take us more than a couple of minutes. Let's get started. We'll continue <laughs> when we come forward. There are okay. reportedly, I'm just reading some new data about this literally just last night. There are some eight to 10,000 people coming across the U.S.-Mexico border each day. The question is whether or not this is going to be a big issue in the 2024 election the way it was the last time around. Trump clearly made it a big issue, talking about the wall, the wall, the wall. This time around, in this sequel, we expect, between Biden and Trump, will this be a major issue? Uh, It will be, and there ought to be a big sign hung up in front of the immigration issue that says politicians do not touch. Because while I expect politicians and our elected leaders to deal with the border crisis in either party and both parties, both Republicans and Democrats, again, have a habit of demonizing this issue come election time. Let's not forget that Gavin Newsom, a Democrat who wants to be president and is, in fact, already running a stealth campaign for president, is sending National Guard troops down to the California border. Where did that come from, Gavin? Gavin Newsom, I've been following Gavin Newsom forever. Not once when he was mayor of San Francisco or lieutenant governor did he ever say the word immigration. All of a sudden he's discovered it. So I, I really deplore the practice of politicians politicizing this issue. Neither the Republicans nor the Democrats seem to have the answer as to what to do to stop this flow of people coming here. Uh, and, and part of it has its roots where I've always said the same thing for 35 years I've been writing about immigration. It's the employers, it's the employers, it's the employers. People who live in Los Angeles can make a middle-class wage but live on upper-middle-class standard of living because they hire cheap labor to be their housekeepers and their gardeners and their nannies and their whatever, senior caregivers. And we have been riding the back of this tiger for over 30 years pretending that there wasn't a cost. But guess what? Look, there is. Mm. Um, I hear your wish um, that politicians not touch the immigration issue. I got news for you. Uh, that ain't how it works, brother. Uh, <laughs> immigration right, right. is a political issue, and more, 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 more accurately uh, described, it is a political football, not just an issue, but a football that gets kicked around all the time. Uh, but you raise a you raise a you raise a fundamental issue that I want to probe when we come forward, and that is, if not politicians, then in what ways can we advance? meaningful immigration reform in this country? If not politicians, then who, where, how uh, can we get some meaningful movement on this issue of immigration? Uh, Again, uh, you're listening to Tavis Smiley. Our guest is Ruben Navarrete Jr. A great deal more to talk about uh, regarding these trending political topics when we come forward. Hope, agency, dignity. This is Tavis Smiley. Come on! 
Let's get back to more of Tavis Smiley right now. A lot of breaking news today in this business is either feast or famine. Some days uh, there's no news and uh, other days there's too much news. Uh, this is a breaking news today, Ruben Navarrete Jr. Uh, the U.S. is accusing Amazon of illegally protecting monopoly uh, in online retail. The Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, and 17 states have sued Amazon today, saying its conduct uh, in its online store and services to merchants is illegally stifling competition. So the government is going after Amazon. Uh, the uh, Federal Trade Commission and 17 states going after Amazon for monopolistic behavior. Is Amazon too big? Amazon may be too big, but it's big because it's successful and because the market decides these things. And if people didn't want to go to Amazon, me included, we wouldn't go to Amazon. Uh, if you read carefully what this, this, uh, these lawsuits claim, it's basically that uh, Amazon is favoring its own products. If you and I want to go to Amazon and buy a toaster later today, we might buy the Amazon Choice recommended to- toaster uh, or, and, and the produced toaster by Amazon, or we may buy something else. I think really, uh, having been in this position before, people buy good quality products at good prices. And ultimately, the market will decide. Uh, I'm going to keep an open mind about this. It may well be that there are basic tenets to a monopoly and, and what Amazon is doing qualifies. For instance, you know, if you want to be part of our prime subscription service, you have to uh, avoid undercutting our prices. I don't know. I mean, that's, you're in the weeds at that point. But by and large, I think that Apple is successful, Amazon is successful, Coca-Cola is successful because they deliver a good quality product in an efficient way. And the market decides. And if the market doesn't like it, then it won't be successful. It'll die off. Yeah, and here again, you and I disagree. Uh, I hate monopolies. I hate them because I think that um, the persons who most often get squeezed by monopolies are people who look just like you and me. Uh, Black and brown people and poor people are the ones who get squeezed by this monopolistic behavior. Um, For my money, Amazon is too big. Uh, And to your earlier point about people go to Amazon for great prices, they go to Amazon because it's Amazon. There's nothing else that competes with Amazon. That's why they go to Amazon, and Amazon can afford to have lower prices because they push everybody out. Uh, again, I hate monopolies, and uh, I hope the government is successful at smacking Amazon uh, upside the head in this regard, but I digress on that. Even as all of us use Amazon, that doesn't mean that it, uh, that, uh, that it shouldn't be fair and that it shouldn't be competitive. Uh, and, and so uh, never mind what Ruben or Tavish thinks, the FTC. And 17 other states have sued Amazon, so there will be another major trial uh, coming up in the not-too-distant future, and we will see what, what that brings. Um, let me get back to the point we raised earlier. I just wanted to get to that breaking news right quick about Amazon. Um, but we were talking about the immigration reform, and you said you know, politicians you know, stay away, don't touch immigration. Well, how do you, how do you expect we, we, we would ever get meaningful immigration reform, which you and I both want? Well, when I said, yeah, and when I said to clarify that they should stay away from it, I mean, they should stop politicizing it. Right. In the same way that they politicize an issue like crime. Crime is a complicated issue. You get some criminologists together and tell you about why people commit crimes. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't know it from the way that Republicans and Democrats both rush to politicize the crime issue. It was Hillary Clinton, a Democrat, who pushed support for a racist uh, crime bill in 1994 written by Joe Biden by saying that it was going to target super predators. That's true. And everybody knew she was talking about young black men. Mm-hmm. And then she said, and this is a really disgusting line that Hillary Clinton put out there. She said, these super predators need to be brought to heel. Mm-hmm. Basically calling young black men dogs. 
And you know, what do we give a pass to that because she's a Democrat? Oh, well, it's not a big deal. You miss, you know, she misunderstood. So Democrats and Republicans both ought to be careful when they grab onto crime or immigration and use them as these little chew toys, you know, for their own benefit. And it's, it's irresponsible. But on immigration, I think the, the, the best hope I have is not from the legislative branch, which has shown itself to be dysfunctional on this right. and full of liars, who, Republicans and Democrats, who say one thing and do another, or the executive branch, where you have one president after another sending the National Guard to the border and trying to race each other to deport more people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, two, days ago, Joe, two days ago, Donald Trump promised mass deportations. If I get in, you got to deport people in mass to get rid of all these undocumented immigrants in the country who are coming across the border. Well, great. The libertarians and the, and the ACLU and the liberal Democrats are all outraged. Well, he's a little late to the party because the, the deporter-in-chief was Barack Obama, a Democrat, a black man who deported three million people. So both political parties have failed. I think the answer comes from the third branch, the judicial branch. This is really up to lawyers and judges uh, who will decide some of these cases, decide who has an asylum claim and who doesn't. And if you don't, you have to go home. But if you do, you get a chance to stay. Yeah, the it's problem. my only hope. It's yeah. the only one left. Yeah, well, uh, don't hold your breath because um, if you have if you haven't seen the poll numbers lately, uh, the Supreme Court has uh, uh, we 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 respect them less than Congress. Or they're they're all in the, they're all in the cesspool right now. Yeah. Their their numbers, yeah, yeah, yeah. trust me, their numbers uh, are not much better than Congress. So. Yeah, deservedly so. Yeah, we, they dug themselves into that hole. Unfortunately, we agree on that one. So uh, don't don't rely on the courts to 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 address it uh, because again, with this particular court, I think you know what you're gonna get. Um, so well, then uh, I'm all out of branches. I got no branches. <laughs> exactly. Left. You got you branches. got you got no branches left. Um, speaking of, uh, let me do this right quick. Speaking of uh, speaking of uh, deportations and immigration, I saw this story. Mm-hmm. Saw this story yesterday, and I want to get you to take your temperature on this. Uh, listen to this headline, everybody. Drug cartels, drug cartels, are Mexico's fifth largest employer. <laughs> With 175,000 people on payroll. They're the fifth largest employer in the nation. I raise that in part because I just was just mortified by that headline. But also because, uh, I, again, speaking of whether or not immigration is going to be an issue in this presidential campaign, you know there'll be all kind of conversation about drugs coming across the border. But what do you make of that headline, Ruben? Yeah, and as they say in Spanish, they have to which means just hold on, pal. You, have, you don't know the half of it. Yeah, yeah. 170,000 people on the payroll, I presume, in Mexico. That's not even talking about the other tens of thousands of people on the payroll in the U.S. <laughs> and that includes many corrupt border patrol agents, border guards, customs officials who are on the take, who turn a blind eye and let stuff come through the border. Okay? Mm. So that has long been a, a pattern of corruption down there. So the, the, the cartel is feeding people on both sides of the border. Uh, and it's doing that because Americans have an insatiable desire for drugs. We think if we have back pain, if we have knee pain, everything that is our salvation comes out of a bottle. Mm. It comes out of a bottle. And it starts when you're, when you're taking your kid to the pediatrician for the very first time. And every prescription they give you or they give my parents or give me is a lifetime prescription. They want you to take this stuff for life. And big companies, you know, drug companies, Pfizer, Merck, and others make billions and billions of dollars. Americans are addicted to drugs. And because of that, now we're addicted to opioids. And, we're, and they're, supplying the, they're supplying the desire to have opioids. We send guns to the South because Mexicans want guns. 
and they send drugs to the north because Americans are addicted to drugs. Yeah, no, but yeah, we can't we can't thumb our nose at Mexico because we we have a drug problem as well. No 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 question about that. Um, but uh, drug cartels um, ranking as the fifth largest employer in the in the nation at 175,000 folk on payroll is fascinating stuff. Um, when we come forward, um, let me uh, get Ruben's uh, take on the potential government shutdown. We've been discussing this every day. Why? Because every day we're one day closer to the end of this month. And uh, at the moment, it appears that there's going to be a government shutdown. If something doesn't happen, the government's going to shut down and we'll see who is responsible, who gets held responsible for that. We'll get his temperature on that. And this I really want to get into. There are a number of new polls out. So let me just be clear. This is not just one or two polls. There are a number of polls out that underscore that Joe Biden's support is collapsing with black and brown voters. Hate to scare you, but the polls are suggesting a multiplicity of them that Joe Biden's support is starting to slowly collapse with black voters and Latino voters. Say it ain't so. Say it ain't so. You're listening to Ruben Red Jr. on Tavis Smiley. What's your quarrel with the world? You're listening to Tavis Smiley. He's rooting for everybody black. Everybody black. black. More of Tavis Smiley coming your way right now. Right now. Before I get to Joe Biden's support starting to collapse with black and brown voters, um, Ruben, you bracing yourself for this government shutdown? Yeah, I'm okay with it. I can live through it. I've been here before. Uh, people live in California. I don't, I don't live in Maryland or Virginia. I don't live in the district. And I think people in California... They think they have too much government anyway. And when the federal government shuts down, uh, we hardly notice. Mm. Um, you're being cavalier about this. Uh, government shuts down. A lot of fellow citizens are hurt. So stop being so snarky and, and tell me how you really feel about the impact of a government shutdown on the American people and who's going to be held responsible for it, Republicans or Democrats. You're so snarky, man. Well, I know, so snarky. As a snarky journalist, alert the media. Where did yeah. that come from? <laughs> so the, the last... The last part of it is what you said, who will get the blame? That's really why people care. If they're honest, the reason the liberal media cares about this issue is because they can hang this on Kevin McCarthy and the Republicans, justifiably so, mm-hmm. justifiably so. But it's, it's really a horse race kind of analysis that says we're less concerned about whether or not the shutdown is going to hurt people or be justified. We really just want to who's going to catch the blame. So the value of the shutdown is that you can hang it on Republicans. I go back to what I said before. You and I work in the media. You and I have been fired and let go, laid off, shown the door a number of times. Mm-hmm. 15 times, in my case, 15 times in 35 years. I don't remember my cousins who are government workers calling and helping me out and, and <laughs> caring a whole lot about, oh, poor Ruben lost his job again, right? <laughs> but these people who have a government pension, a government guaranteed salary, right? They want me to feel bad for them. I'm over here hugging onto my 401k when they got a pension. And I'm supposed to feel bad for that. Where, brother, where were you when I got laid off 15 times? Where were you? Mm. Yeah. All right. That's funny. I, I, I can see that. That, that, <laughs> that, that party is funny. Uh, Did you get a call? Did you get a gift basket the last time you were let go? Did somebody send you uh, some fruit and cheese and nope, wine? Nope, nope. Uh, government workers say, Tavis, mm-hmm. we feel your pain? <laughs> Uh, That's weird. No, I can't say it. Can't say that that happened to me. <laughs> can't say that happened. All right. When we come forward, our remaining moments, Ruben Alred Jr. We'll get to these poll numbers. Um, and it's it ain't cute. This is not. This is not pretty. Um, Joe Biden's numbers are slowly starting to fade uh, with black voters and with brown voters, uh, and uh, it's worth interrogating. What's what's really what's really going on? You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Interrogating and unpacking. That's what 
we do around here. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. More honesty than you can handle. More empowerment than you can imagine. You're tuned in to Tavis Smiley. I don't believe that polls or Ruben are the end-all, be-all. Um, and I don't believe they ought to be given too much stock. On the other hand, I don't believe you can ignore them either, particularly when there is an increasing number of polls that are showing the same kinds of trends. And that's what we're seeing now vis a vis this growing dissatisfaction with the prospect of Joe Biden running for a second term among black voters. An NBC News poll recently uh, uh, found that the president's job approval rating had slipped from 80 percent in 2021 to 63 percent uh, right about now among black voters. 80 percent in 2021. Now, 63 percent of black folk approve of Joe Biden. Um, uh, Biden's Latino support has fallen and Trump seems to have increased his standing from 2020, earning now close to 40 percent of the Latino vote, despite his record of bashing Latinos and immigrants. Um, can you make sense of any of these numbers? You know, I'm tempted to say the parties have gone mad, both Republicans and Democrats. Nobody's doing anything right, making sense. You know, um, I think a lot of it for Joe Biden obviously goes back to his age. You know, one of the things I'm doing lately now is a, a new Substack newsletter that I launched, Never at the Nation. And I'm going to be talking about age and the new issue because mm-hmm. there's this mix that we have, this mixed feelings about age. We want people to be old enough to be experienced, to lead. We look at people like Vivek Ramaswamy and we say, oh, he's too young at 35. He's untested. He's not ready to be president. But we look at somebody like Joe Biden, Mitch McConnell, Dianne Feinstein, uh, and we say, they're just too old. They need to step aside. Right? Even um, Donald Trump, who sometimes gets a pass on this because he seems to have some lucidity in his thoughts, was it last week where he talked about how Joe Biden was going to get us into World War II? Mm-hmm. And, and how Donald Trump said that he, had, he recalled fondly how he had run against and beaten Barack Obama in 2016, mm-hmm. as opposed to Hillary Clinton? They're all going crazy, okay? There's, there's, senility is on the rise in both political parties. And uh, we are very polite about it. We, we need to stop being polite about it. Voters, and black voters in particular, are saying, along with Latino voters, Joe Biden should not run for re-election, and if he does re- run for re-election, we reserve the right to stay home. I think this. I think the, the relationship between b- black voters and, and uh, Joe Biden has always been transactional, okay? They haven't forgotten that this is a guy who pushed through the racist crime bill, who has said some racist things in the past. And ultimately, they don't have the love that they had for, say, Bill Clinton. The connection between black voters and Bill Clinton was magical. That's not the same thing as that you have between black voters and Joe Biden. The second one is much more transactional and a lot less emotional. Yeah, uh, with all due respect to Bill Clinton, who was my friend, uh, that relationship got a little less magical the longer yes, he stayed in, in the longer right. the longer he stayed in office. When he passed that welfare bill, when he passed that racist crime bill, uh, that relationship got, got got more and more tense. Uh, but I think you're right that black folk uh, have a long memory. And also, when he attacked Barack Obama, when when he in defending his wife, he went after Barack Obama, yeah. and I think in very racist terms. Back in 2008. Yeah, that got ugly. It got ugly, to be sure. Um, so, um, Joe Biden, uh, I think you are right about the fact that black folk have a long memory about Joe Biden. There's some things in his past that aren't so kind. But I'm not even sure it's about the past as much as it's about the present. And when I say the present, I mean that he has not been able to get through any meaningful voting rights legislation reform. He's not been able to get through uh, any 
the George Floyd policing bill or or, right. or, or, right. the, or the bill that That's bears right. the name of John Lewis. So there are a number of things that matter to black voters that this administration, for all their symbolic gestures, the black vice president, the black Supreme Court justice, uh, the black woman, Michelle uh, Cook, on the on the Fed, for all these great appointments, for all the symbolism, for the Juneteenth holiday, for all the symbolism yeah. uh, that Joe right. Biden has put forward, which is a beautiful thing. Don't get me wrong. Symbolism matters, but substance matters more. And when you don't get past a key legislation that matters to black people, you see these numbers start to slip. Now, having said that, he still holds a 76 percent uh, lead with black voters to a 14 percent take for Donald Trump. So he's still out front. Uh, But these numbers are going to be tight. These numbers are going to matter and they're going to make a difference. Uh, So Joe Biden better figure something out uh, and stop this slide in all of these polls uh, uh, that he apparently is experiencing with African-American and Latino voters. Um, I'm out of time. I wish I had more time to probe with Ruben today. We'll do it next time. More time to probe why Donald Trump is rising with Latino voters. Never mind his bashing of them all the time that I don't get. Um, so somebody is stuck on stupid Ruben and it ain't black voters. I'll leave that for now. We'll come back to that the next time, but let me congratulate you on your new Substack piece. I saw it, uh, this week and, uh, look forward to, to, um, um, to, uh, signing up for that. Uh, so, uh, Ruben just writing all over the place. Ruben, good to have you on. We'll do it again somewhere down the road, my friend. Take care. Love you, my brother. Good being with you. Thanks. Lo- love you back. Thanks for coming on.